Welcome to Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris, where we talk about relevant issues as it relates to individuals in grief as they navigate finances and the advisors who help them. We help clients in grief navigate financial matters. We also teach advisors how to emotionally and financially work with clients in grief through an unparalleled process. This week's podcast is sponsored by Life After Grief Financial Planning and Life After Grief Consulting. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris. In today's episode, I'm really excited about today's episode. We have a remarkable lady, Elizabeth Snyder. She is a financial planner, fellow financial planner, and she goes by Liz. And I'm excited today because I've always really wanted to get someone who has a tremendous amount of experience in the mental health space. And Liz fits that to a T. So Liz transitioned to financial planning after a 20-year career as a mental health therapist. And her perspective is bar none, you know, especially for other planners and really what she does. And she is the co-owner of Trail Financial Planning, and that name may ring a bell. She's a business partner to my good buddy, John Chesbro, who was on the podcast before, either one or two times. Liz also lives in the Pacific Southwest. She's a mother of two and a proud dog owner. And she loves to be outside. Nature being active. We were talking about uh, activity uh, before and, you know, the pitfalls of getting older when you're still active. Uh, We talked about some injuries. And beyond that, she's a great planner and she works with widows and divorcees. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And so, Liz, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really excited. I'd said that before. <laughs> Thank you. That's really sweet. How did we meet? Thank you. That was really a fantastic introduction. <laughs> I'm, I'm- well, it was, that's all you. That's all about you. It has nothing to do with me. I just articulated it. Yeah. Well, I, we met, I think we met through John, and then we that's just recently met in person at um, the XYPN conference, at XYPN Live, which was great. And then I just got really excited about meeting you because you work with transition and, and loss, and that's my passion area too. So I got excited when I met you there. Well, you're a professional at it. I wouldn't call myself a professional. So yeah. <laughs> we do have that synergy. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about my background as a therapist, and that I, I started being a therapist in 2001. I also, though, at that time, I don't know if you know this, is that I started a grief program for kids. I did not know that. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, I want to share that with you today, that as a therapist, I started, a, I took over a nonprofit. And then over time, it grew into being our treehouse, which is a grief program for kids. It's peer support. Um, oh, wow. It's for kids and families. And, and so that's a whole other piece, too, that I was thinking, oh, that would be great to share. And also worked at a camp for kids for eight years for um, a week. But besides that, I was a mental health therapist. I worked with young women and adolescents for most of my time and worked with a lot of suicidality and self-harming, a lot of behavior change, non-judgmental relationship work, and really loved it. And then I had kids and I had a teenage girl and I realized it was time maybe to transition to a new, to something else. Sure. I was starting to feel feel like it was hard to be a therapist all day and then go home and be a mom. It was hard to, I think, sit 
I wanted to, I liked research a lot. And so I was really kind of wishing I had a job where I had some work behind the scenes that I could work on. Okay. And yeah, so it was all, you know, being a therapist is I sit here and somebody sits in front of me and that's, that's it. And if I'm sick, there's no income. If I'm, if I can't see 20 clients a week anymore, cause I'm tired sure. from parenting, I still have to. So it was really something I thought hard about changing. And I had a business degree and I had worked at a broker dealer when I was really young, did not like that at all. And then went into doing psychology and, and got my master's eventually, but did start out in business. And so um, it's been fun to kind of come back to it. You and I have some overlap in that regard. And you have my wheel spinning um, a couple of ways. So psychology, obviously, there's a lot of psychology in what we do as financial planners. Mm-hmm. A lot of psychology. One of the things that you had said in working with, you know, young folks, I think you said women in particular are young girls that are at suicide risk. Yeah. And I am very observant when I'm around people. And um, I had an experience where I was in Denver, actually. Um, at, it was just before the conference. Oh, and wow. my buddy and I went out to eat and who I was staying with. Before I, you know, went downtown and stayed in the hotel where you guys stayed as well. And uh, there was a young girl and I would say she was the late teens or early 20s. And one of the things and again, I'm not an expert in the mental health space. But one of the things that I noticed on the inside of her forearm, she had it looked like there was a thousand cuts on her forearm. And I know that from a, a past family member that that is one of the things that young women do. It's kind of self-harm. And I I picked up on it and I said something to my buddy and he was like, how in the world did you pick that up? You've never met this girl and you saw her forearm and you just kind of come to that conclusion. And I said, well, Mike, that's kind of what I do, buddy. And I see things like that and I observe and it's very similar to what I do in my financial practice. And that's an example of really what you bring to the table, but on a um, hundred thousand billion scale. Yeah. Well, and so those, those were my clients. Like I, I'll see that, I'll see someone like that at a restaurant and be like, oh, I just love, I just loved those clients. Like that is yeah. who I worked with. And then I think it got, it, it changed. I could talk more about how, like, you know, there was a lot, What the type of therapy I did was called DBT. It's okay. a real high intensive um, coaching program. So there's there's phone calls you get any time of day if someone's you're trying to help them not self harm anymore, like all those scratches you see. Sure. You try to interject yourself with them to help them cope and come up with other strategies in the moment. Um, and that can be at one in the morning. That can be at ten o'clock during the day. So that was where I think it got hard. It's like just always being on call and and also coaching somebody and then not knowing like. Did that help? I hope that helped. Right. I'll help today. I'm going to go back to sleep. And that's the best I could do. You know, like you don't, it doesn't really feel like, it's not like you check a box and say, that was really great. I'm really, that really helped them. And I feel really good about the work I did. It was really more, much more nebulous. And I think that wore on me over time. Right. Sure. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, it, it does. And what it sounds like ultimately you made this transition, you know, for your family. Um, yeah. Outside of, you know, outside of everything that has to do with you, but the things that you were saying, kind of similar to why I made the leap as well to be, you know, working for a broker dealer and then being on my own. 
was the dynamics that it put strain on my family. Right. It's just, it's very hard and it's very tedious. Mm -hmm. And on this side, I mean, you have a great partner, so you guys can pick up the slack for each other if there is any, any slack, but you know, that's a, a nice kind of relief and you're not basically on the clock every second of the day. And if you're not working, you're still uh, bringing in income. So, and that allows you to spend time with your family. Yeah. I think it also is just like that piece. I was giving so much emotional weight to a lot of people that weren't my family that I would come home and not have as much. And this is just such a different part of my brain. It's also really satisfying work to me. Like, I feel like I finally have found the thing I was supposed to do where I can like work with people, have relationship, we can have insightful conversations. And then we have like an action plan. And then they can tell me how things went well or what didn't. And it, it's just so satisfying to me as in contrast to therapy, where it was just so much more unknown of the impact. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking if you could describe one client that you have where your mental health therapy background directly related to a client situation and how it helped. Wow. That's a good, that's a good, hard question. Um, you know, I think, so I think like what you said, being observant where, um, a lot of what we're doing too is on zoom still. A lot of my client sure. meetings are, but working with clients and not their therapist. Um, and oftentimes it's working with couples and, often around cash flow conversations and learning and understanding each other in a non-judgmental way. So I think that I end up bringing this ability to hear things and hopefully reframe non-judgmentally for each person. Like this is just what is versus this is what is and it's bad, or this is what you are and you're good. Cause you know, like you think of budgeting, people often think the maybe the frugal one is better at it and the one who likes to spend is not as good, but you basically, sure. this is just what is, and how are you guys going to work with what is? And if it's not working, how are you going to make changes together? But that we have to move out of shame and judgment about it to get there. Right. So I think, and then if it ends up being, if it ends up being too much, like that conversation sounds very basic, but if that does not work, then it's like, Hey, it sounds like a referral to a couple's therapist might be helpful to work out these tensions and these frictions, but sometimes they're just some tensions and frictions that with just some shining some light non-judgmentally sure. on it, it really helps it so much. So I think that's where it helps. Um, that would be a specific client. I have couples that I've worked with oftentimes young couples. It's just starting to show up that friction of differences around different money attitudes and just being able sure. to shine light on it really clears it up fast. And so I'm thinking of those, those couples particularly, when you say it, it sounds so easy, but it's definitely not that easy. <laughs> not that easy, but yeah, just it's not like, that hey. easy, right? Yeah, and I also think I, I know I don't know everything either. So I think that that ends up my my lack of experience. I think helps me be like, I don't know. Let me get back to you about it. And for some reason, I think my clients have found that really comforting. Versus you'd think they want me to be like the all-knowing expert. Actually, they don't. A lot of people don't like that when you're like, "This is what you have to do." Sure, I would. I would agree with you. I I do the same thing. My experience. I've been in the financial industry for now twenty two years, 
and I don't know everything. And mm -hmm. what I say to clients, probably nine times out of 10, a majority of the personal experience that I get outside of my own is your experience. And I pass that on to other clients. Mm -hmm. So you, your wisdom helps me to be wiser and every client has a different situation. And I'm thinking of like the couples that, you know, you're talking about in regards to kind of their um, money background mm -hmm. and how they deal with money, you know, in particular. And I'm thinking of a, a couple right now where they kind of have different beliefs on money and it's not, you know, me passing judgment on one or another. It's me kind of shining a light, like you said, and just opening their eyes and say, well, neither one is good or it's bad. It just is. And we just kind of have to work through it. And then sometimes what I found, and I don't know if you've um, found this as well. So maybe one of the, the um, spouses will try to get you to side with, <laughs> with them or um, they'll try to, you know, help win their argument. And then you as the advisor, um, you know, kind of have to take a, a backseat and say, Hey, I'm neutral here and mm -hmm. I'm not siding with anyone. And, um, I had a couple do that to me, like right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I, I said to the husband, you know, I can't do that. I can't side with you. He's like, come on, man, just, just help me win this argument. And I'm like, no, but that's, that's not my position. I understand what you're trying to do. And we'll incorporate that in a, um, generalized conversation with both of you guys. And you're probably not going to like what I have to say um, on, you know, your wife's front. And she's probably not going to like everything that I have to say on your front. But I promise you it's going to be neutral. Mm -hmm. So 100 percent. So, yeah, that's cool. That yeah, is cool. I yeah. can relate to that. And I never worked with I did not work with couples. I was not a couples therapist because I don't really want to be a couples therapist. But I, I really enjoy working with people. And and also with that awareness of like, oh, this person shut down. While the other person's doing all the talking, how do I, how do we help bring them into the conversation? Sure. I think that's all about being, you know, observant and mm -hmm. listening and, you know, not taking the driver's seat and just, you know, talking at nauseum. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen, you know, outside of, you know, what we do and you, me collectively and, you know, the brain trust of people that are in kind of the independent space and have our own firms. But I've witnessed other advisors that really don't care about the personal side of financial planning and just kind of go in and just look at somebody as a number. That's unfortunate, but um, that's why folks flock to, you know, good folks like yourself um, who can really help them. Well, yeah, I really, uh, really focus on the person. And then I also want to do what they've hired me to do, which is to focus sure. on the finances as I'm learning. And, and I think that, you know, that transition into being, I don't know if, I can talk about that, but the transition from being a therapist into being a, a financial planner has been really interesting because I I have to remember who I am. In a sure, like, am I being? Am I trying to be the therapist or am I trying to be the planner? And if I, I mean, I can listen to people talk all day long to me about whatever's going on in their lives, but if they hired me for an hour to help them with their finances, I have to. That's what I want to deliver to them, right? Sure. Yeah, um, I totally understand that. I find that balance really been, has been interesting to, am I trying to grow as a financial therapist or as a financial planner? And, right. And from there, it's been, it's been really interesting. 
what has brought you back? If you find yourself being pulled in one direction or another, what's kind of um, brought you back and centered you and said, Hey, this is really at the core of really what I want to do. Well, I'll say it might be say something flip or something, but like, you know, sometimes I'll say, I'm just going to pull out my therapist hat for a minute (laughs) and recognize that this whole thing is happening. And then, but you really hired me to be your financial planner. So we're going to go back to the, the numbers at hand. Right. So I do. I sometimes will say, I know you hired me to be your planner, not your therapist today. Okay. Fair enough. Right. So I'll say something to that. And sometimes I'll just segue back. Yeah. What I do, and I've encountered that, not that people want me to be their therapist, but once you get into relationships and people, they understand that you give good life advice, they want to lean on you for a lot of other things. And I have to say, well, I am not a mental health therapist, nor did I go to school for that training. But here is a resource that you can go to that Mm -hmm. should help you out. But yeah, 100%. I've had several clients that have had young adult daughters or or teenage daughters that are struggling with mental health. I found that really hard to not be like, okay, what's her treatment? Where is she going? Let me help you get right. Like I have to, I have to stay out of that curiosity. Do you ever have any wants or any aspirations to kind of go back to the therapy side? Not not exclusively, but maybe a, a client here or there? Yeah, so I've, I'm going to keep my license and I still okay. have a couple clients. So I was okay. going to, you know, John and I started in 2017. I yeah, think. 2017. Yep. You know, you know <laughs> I just had my own transitions of having um, early stage of breast cancer and had just, I mean, I remember him coming over and I was recovering from my surgery right. and he signed the documents to get the, the thing going. So I ended up, I was going to stop being a therapist probably right, right. I was transitioning out already and then the pandemic hit. I didn't want to, to have to try to refer out my whole caseload of clients I was in private practice and and try to have people be reintroduced just over telehealth and right. everything changed so fast. And so I kept on my clients and then slowly have over time last September discontinued most of my clients and and I still supervise other therapists a little okay. bit. But what I really am planning to do is close it, keep my license and allow myself that potential. I don't I, I kind of a firm believer that I don't know who I'm going to be in 10 years. So, sure. you know, I can make promises for my future self, but I don't know. And I don't know. I may want to take a client here and there. Right. I don't know if I will, though. I think I think riding two horses is what my friend called it, like being a therapist <laughs> and trying to be a planner and then having a partner who was working so hard. That whole situation was, was pretty hard. I don't want to ride two horses. I just want to do right. one really well. So I really want to learn how to be a great planner and then maybe go back to being a therapist. Or I, I kind of thought about, is it Ed Coons who does, he does a great training. I think you're right. On attachment. Yes. And um, money. And I took his training online and I was like, Oh, this is such good stuff. And like, I'd love if a therapist, you know, a lot of couples therapists could just do a couple things. Right. And not have to refer someone to, a, to anyone else. For yeah. financial therapy, you do know what I'm saying. Like I understand, yep. 100%. And so I'm, I'm kind of excited about the idea of just meeting with with colleagues who are therapists and helping them get a couple tools of, you know, how to talk to their clients. But 
I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I think I'd like to always be able to do it if I want to. Well, you're certainly good at it. And I, if you ever decided to go back or just take one or two clients, I'm sure that whatever you decide uh, will help you and, you know, your financial planner endeavors as well. So that's awesome. I was going to say something else too, in regards to my experience with therapy. So I had a therapist um, that I utilized, I don't know, several years ago. And my impression of him was exactly what you had said in regards to, you know, being on a clock and having to meet so many people during the course of a day. I mean, he was backed up and he had appointment after appointment after appointment after appointment. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt bad for him because, you know, he was basically sitting, you know, on Zoom or in person or however he was conducting, you know, his sessions for like eight to 10 hours a day. And I was like, man, that sounds miserable to do that. And, you know, the way that it's kind of portrayed on TV, which is not realistic, you know, you go into this grandiose office and you sit on these, you know, $10,000 couches and, you know, the therapist is kind of sitting back, maybe smoking a cigar and, you know, maybe <laughs> kicking back a couple of drinks or whatever. That is not the reality. That is not um, it. <laughs> I don't know that people understand. I mean, I have a lot of respect for my therapist friends and, and I, I see what they're doing and how, and they work really hard for people and they care really deeply. And, and there's not a lot of reimbursement for their work. It's an interesting right. dynamic. It's almost like social work. Instead, they're really trained professionals that spend all day. They are the tool. Right. They are the tool. So um, it's really, it's a lot of work. And I don't know, I don't know how much people know that really. But Yeah, it's a lot of work. And my, you know, novice experience with psychology and kind of my background in education. And then we were talking and driving kind of back and forth and uh, bantering back and forth. And there were some of the things that he would do or some of the tools that I understood, you know, just like you need an outside source to help you with those tools. And you just kind mm -hmm. of need to absolve yourself and just like let somebody else go to work on your behalf. And then he would, you know, in just kind of talking about either situations that I had, he would, you know, bring up examples of things that he has either seen that were similar and or some things with children. There were a couple of times and I said to him, you know what, I appreciate you helping me, but I know that you have more of a daunting case that's coming up next. Let's cut our um, appointment <laughs> short and you tend to that other person. I'm like 95% of the, where I need to be. I can figure out the next 5% and then, you know, maybe we'll wrap up in a session here or there, but go help out, you know, that child that might be suicidal or something like that um, in comparison. Yeah. Um, but it, it was, yeah, it was, I could see that uh, the work was, you know, very tough and, you know, sometimes not a lot of reward. And I could tell that he was exhausted uh, by the end of the day. I'd happened to catch him probably one of his first appointments and I knew he was fresh in the morning, but I could, I, I said to him, I can only imagine you at the end of the day, you're, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. So, I remember, remember warning people who were scared, like if they wanted to come at five, I'm like, well, give me my last person, but I'll, I'll bring you all I got. <laughs> but you know, we only have so much. So there's a lot of self care that goes on and there's so much about what you just said that I'm, I'm thinking and I don't, I don't want to analyze you, but that how hard it, how, 
you bring up a really good point about being a therapist. If we show too much of our struggle, then our clients want to try to take care of us. Right. And then it's not why they're there. And so it's this always this ongoing dynamics of caring for each other. And there's so much there. Yeah. So yeah, we got, we got to a point, he and I, and he's like, I think you're good, man. (laughs) I don't don't think you need, uh, I don't think you need me anymore. And so like our last couple of times that we had met, it was just about, you know, kind of wrapping. And then what was good was I was able to refer because I, I sought um, some things out and I said, I know that you can't give me certain information, but I can ask for it. And um, you can't volunteer to do this. And I said, I'm asking for this information for the purpose of helping other people. And I want to refer other people to you. And um, he said, well, in that regard, I can release information to you. Here is the information, you know. And so I ended up um, helping. It was probably two or three or four other people because of my experience with him and how he did things. And Mm -hmm. so I was able to articulate that. So I'm all for therapy and that's why I'm so I was so eager to get you on because I know what a value you bring to the table. Even if you struggle with the two hats, I know the tremendous value you bring from the mental health, you know, point standpoint. And then how you're able to transition that to financial, you know, literacy, financial therapy. And even if it's just, you know, you're listening as a therapist and you have to put a line in the sand, like you said, okay. Well, um, I've listened to you. I hear you. I have this, you know, other hat that's going on, but you really hired me as your financial planner. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take all that information that you gave me. I'm going to compartmentalize it and I'm going to constructively do this. So I'm your financial planner. Um, Mm -hmm. That gives me a tremendous leg up on a lot of other planners. So I've noticed that there's people who want to work with me because I have a therapist background. I'm guessing there's still an equal number of people who might not want to work with me because of my therapist background as well, right? And I think that that's sure. That's just a, such a good. Um, I want people to want to work with me because of the value of that. Sure, one hundred percent. I would agree with you. It, it you know kind of hones your um, niche and people you know who really want to work with you. There are people that I know do not want to work with me because of my background. And I am 100% okay with that. And frankly, mm-hmm. that's why I put it out there because I only want people to work with me because of my background. Mm-hmm. So if you want someone else that you know is an advisor or financial planner, there's a lot of folks that are financial planners, but there are not a lot of folks like me and there aren't a lot of folks like you. So we're highly specialized in mm-hmm. kind of what we do. Yeah. And I, I feel like if there was somebody who is a certain type of client, that's not going to be a great fit for me because I, because of who I am and how I operate in the world. And I don't want to have to be different than I am at this point in my life. Like, um, this is who I am. This is what you get. And right. Yeah. I had a, a former boss tell me, and I don't think uh, this particular individual realized what they were saying to me, but they said to me that because I'm a certified financial planner, my process, and I'm going to say my quote unquote sales process was too slow. And I just kind of took it and um, I said, well, yeah, you don't really know what I do. 
And as a matter of fact, my process as a certified financial planner opens up so many different windows for a client and it's actually not slower. I do it at basically at the same pace as anybody, any other advisor. Mm -hmm. However, at the end, I have more windows that are opened up and more things that need to be solved financially. And if that, you know, results in whatever the firm, you know, wanted me to sell, if it resulted in, you know, additional sales opportunities for the firm, well, then so be it. Um, but I'm not pushing that on a client. It just happens to be every client is unique and they have different things that they need. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to provide opportunities. And one of the things that I like about this side of the house being a fee-only financial planner, as you guys mm -hmm. are, mm -hmm. is that if there is a client that needs, this is like, let's just say life insurance, or they need something else, there's no commission that's tied to it. Mm -hmm. And so we truly do what's in a client's best interest. And we're not benefiting if they need insurance or if we're investing money for them. We're not monetarily benefiting from a higher a monetary tick mark on a certain product. And I love that. Um, I love as that too. To, yeah. As opposed to before. Yeah. Before you were selling, you had to do, you were in a, in a non-fee only organization. Yes. And mm -hmm. I, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Yeah. Uh, Cause they were pushing and it would conflict. It was in constant conflict with my um, certified financial planner designation where you can't sell a product that somebody doesn't need. And I remember, you know, one of the firms that I work with said, well, you you really need to sell this insurance. And I said, if they don't need it, I'm not selling it. And they said, well, you need to sell it, find a way to sell it. And I said, I can't do that. I hold my CFP designation higher than any firm that I work with. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my livelihood. So yeah, you can't be inauthentic is really what that is too, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. You're being authentic and you can't sell something that doesn't really have a true value to the person. Yeah, I would agree 100%. Mm -hmm. So yeah. awesome. Yeah. Liz, you've been awesome to have on the show today. Well, thanks. I appreciate you. This has been really fun. I don't know if you have any other questions, but. I don't. I, generally, when I wrap up, I give you any opportunity to say anything that may have come to your mind, you know, as we were talking. And I also want you to plug, you mentioned the nonprofit organization for kids. Sure. Is it still open and viable? It is. It's still okay. open and viable. And it's, you know, COVID, just like a lot of nonprofits, it was really hard to fundraise during COVID times. But our treehouse is in Whatcom County and it serves kids and their families. They come and they have a dinner together and then they break out into separate support kind of groups. It's peer support. It's not therapy. And they also work with teens and young adults who experience the, the death of a parent or someone loved one. What's the website? It's rtreehouse.org. It has an r-treehouse.org. Okay. R, what I will do is I will put it in the description underneath the podcast and a link to it as well. Yeah. I think that's a tremendous resource, especially if you, if the nonprofit can use any help with any funding. So yeah, yeah by absolutely. all means. They're always yeah. needing funding and, and they really are such a good organization. And now it's been like 20 years. Like I just oh, got okay. started and then I passed it off to so many people have done such great work since then to keep it going. Um, yeah, our treehouse is fantastic. 
I would also be remiss if I didn't allow you to tell what your financial planning website is. So that is what you do. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) www.trailfpfrankpaul.com. Okay. I will also put that in the description and that's how you can reach Liz at her website. I'll put her email address and her contact information at the description of this podcast. Anything else, Liz, that you can think about that I missed? No, I, yeah, I don't know. No. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. It's really, the pleasure is mine. So I learned a lot from you today. So thanks again. Thank you. And thanks for all those listeners who have listened through this podcast. And please feel free to pass this podcast on to any friends, family members, or colleagues. Also, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever your listening pleasure is. Cheers. Be well. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you are a client and are looking to work directly with Chris and or our firm, head on over to Life After Grief FP. That is Life After Grief FP. The FP is for financial planning. If you are an advisor looking to emotionally and financially work with your client in grief, or if you are a client looking to get your advisor's head in the game, head on over to lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. That is lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. Any related information referenced in this week's podcast will be located here in the podcast section.